Mike. What's wrong with you? Welcome to Basic Cable. I'm your host, Carly. And I'm Lucas. Oh, Lucas, why do you sound so down? And I'm Lucas. What's wrong with you today? I'm sick. You're fine. Welcome to Basic Cable. I'm Lucas. I already introduced us. I was just this, running it back. See no, how it sounds. We do not need to run it back. I think the first thing we have to talk about since we did it last week is a quick um, snappy judgments on the Jeopardy All-Stars draft teams. Yeah, my team was better. Snappy judgment done. No, I'm talking about the official <laughs> oh, team. Okay, sorry. Um, Buzzy got Alex Jacob and Jennifer Giles. Ken got Matt Jackson. What do you think? I like Ken's team. I like Buzzy's team. I like Julia Collins' team especially. I mean, let's just get this out of the way. They're all really good teams. I mean, I will just quickly read these off. Buzzy Cohen had the first pick, like I said. He picked... Your boy, Alex Jacob. Alex Jacob and Jennifer Giles. It was a serpentine draft, so he got the first and the last pick. And what is a serpentine draft? Sean Jordan Carly? I don't know. Sean Jordan (laughs) wants to come on and explain to our listeners... He is more than welcome to. Colby Burnett picked Pam Muller and Alan Lynn. Julia Collins picked Ben Ingram and Seth Wilson. Austin Rogers picked Roger Craig and Leonard Cooper. Ken Jennings picked Matt Jackson and Monica Tew. Brad Rutter picked Larissa Kelly and David Madden. Who do you think has the best team there? Julia. I think Austin and Buzzy have really good teams. Yeah. I mean, I think there's no way to tell. I mean, there's no weak team here. Was there anybody that you felt got drafted extraordinarily out of place, whether it be too fast or or too high or too low? Seth Wilson was the fourth to last to be picked, and I think that's a total oversight. It makes sense. The very last three picks were Jennifer Giles, Leonard Cooper, and Monica. And right. those are people that have only played in a team, teacher, and college tournament. So they have the few. They have like the smallest, you know, body of work. Body of work to choose from. Yeah. So. I'm and- I'm happy with everybody's teams. I'm really excited. This is the best tournament I think that Jeopardy may have, have ever come up with, and I cannot wait to see it. And, and the draft format's fantastic. It's great. It allowed us to have some content. It was fun. There's going to be a lot of shit talking between the teams, I think, between now and then on Twitter. I don't think so. I think there will be. Like, really nerdy shit talk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Like, not cool. Um, The first three picks in the real draft were the first three picks that we made of Alex, Roger, and Matt Jackson. Yeah, it seems like we were on the ball as far as who the top, you know, six or so players were and the... Team captains also recognize that. What do you think the preparation for this entails? Because Buzzy said, you know, we don't have that much time to prepare. It films in January. They all live in different places. What do you think the next steps are? The captains trying to figure out whose strength is what in terms of where they'll play? Yeah, I'm not sure. I wonder if they have, like, conference calls, like, every other week or something and discuss strategy. It'd be interesting. That would be a cool, like, web feature that jeopardy could do the sort of like a hard knocks for jeopardy the training camp running up to the 
all-star team t- or team tournament. Screw Jeopardy. Let's let's us do that. Let's just reach out to all the teams and set up interviews. Sure. Matt Jackson, I want to talk to you, brother. I think we have a ton of time because we, you know, it's not like we have full-time jobs or anything. No, no. We do this full-time. This podcast is our only commitment. Yes. We make $1 million a year Per episode. This. Um, so that was the Jeopardy draft. We can link that on our Instagram and Twitter so you can watch the full draft. It's pretty quick. It goes by pretty speedy. I was watching it while I was at a conference a little bit. Just had it you know, in the corner so I couldn't hear anything. I just saw them picking. A, po- a podcast producer conference. Yes, exactly. Um, also, in the news you can't use this week, the only kind of news item I picked out was Maroon 5 has been reportedly tapped to do Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, I've seen a lot of pushback against that. I was you so love mad. Maroon 5. Okay, but here's the thing. I mean, the ringer summed it up. The Super Bowl halftime show is not a great concert. It's not supposed to be. It's it's just for entertainment. It's something to have on because it's the first time during the Super Bowl where you can actually get up and move around because you want to watch the commercials. So it doesn't really matter. And everyone's like, oh, so many Atlanta artists they yeah, could have chosen. The, yeah, I think the argument is that they but what, left <laughs> off all the Atlanta artists. Besides last year where there was a Prince tribute in Minneapolis, how often does the Super Bowl halftime performer represent the city? Not super often, but, there, but it, it, it's also not often that there's a city that has at mu- as much pop music credibility as Atlanta does. I know, but the, it's not... An Atlanta-only audience. Oh, I, I understand that. Atlanta is going to have tons of time to showcase Atlanta. And the Super Bowl halftime show was sponsored by Pepsi. doesn't give a shit about the Atlanta music scene. I, I think you're making your own, you're making my point. They miss an opportunity. Yeah, it's not a huge deal. It's just a missed opportunity. I mean, how hard would it be just, okay, Usher and Outkast are now the performers for a halftime show. That's so much more exciting than Maroon 5. If you can get them. Do you think the NFL can't get Usher and Outkast? I don't know if Outkast would do it. Do you think they can't get Usher and Lil Jon? There's so many artists they could have picked. It's a business decision. You think white ladies don't like Usher? It's a business decision. Yeah, a poor one. But I don't care. I'm not going to watch it either way. So what do I care? It's not like I care. I'm just, you know, I'm sick of everyone thinking that, like, it was this huge offense to the city of Atlanta. I mean, I'm not offended. I just think it's a missed opportunity. And that is not to say, like, I don't, I love Outkast and I love Usher, but honestly, the Super Bowl halftime shows are always shitty. No one's ever super wowed by it unless it's like Beyonce and you can't have Beyonce do it every year. Well, it's always shitty because they pick people like Maroon 5 to perform. No, it's shitty because it's 15 minutes long. It's not good acoustics. The crowd's really far away. The energy's really low. It's not a good design for a concert. And ever since Nipplegate, they've played it really safe. So this is just a continuation of what has always happened. I don't know why people are surprised. Again, I don't know if anyone's surprised. I think people are just, excuse me, just disappointed. I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed in you, Super Bowl. Exactly. <laughs> Go to your room. Yeah. No no dessert for you, Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> no Super Nintendo tonight. And last week we also talked about the Emmys. So the Emmys themselves, pretty uneventful. 
the winners, I think a lot of people are upset Atlanta was shut out of the primetime awards. How did you feel about that? I, I mean, I want to say that I'm super bummed that uh, Paperboy didn't win, but I mean, Henry Winkler won, so how bummed can you actually be? But I still think that Brian Tyree Henry, was that, that's his name, right? Mm-hmm. Should have. I mean, he was far more deserving. I think the way he acts is just too subtle for Emmy voters. I mm. think they assume that anyone can do what he did in season two, and they would be dead wrong. Yeah, nobody else but him could have done that. But he had such little dialogue. It was so much face acting and reacting and... I don't think that gets super rewarded always. Yeah, and I think also the Emmy voters probably thought that Henry Winkler has had such a storied career and this might be their final opportunity to give him an Emmy. And they... But you love Barry. Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah Barry was great. I'm super happy Bill Hader won. Yeah. And Americans got the Friday Night Lights send-off. They a did. writing Emmy and... A lead actor in a drama Emmy. I know. I was convinced they were going to get the wire treatment, but no, they got yeah, they got the Friday Night Lights treatment, which great. I'm psyched. They deserved it. So it, you know, it wasn't a hard show to watch. They kept it really speedy. I loved the proposal moment that everyone was talking about. The hosts were a snooze fest. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a bigger discussion of how do you find a good host because networks that host award shows tend to just go to their late night pool for the free promotion. But there have to be funny people out there that can carry a show or get rid of the host altogether. You barely saw the host. Yeah, they had some, you know, off-screen robot voice reading the nominees. So, yeah, I mean, they didn't really need the host. They could just have a, a series of sketches and not have a host at all. Felt like a very boring episode of Saturday Night Live because it was produced by Lorne and there were a lot of SNL. Yeah. I mean, kind of my funniest presenter moment was Will Ferrell taking five minutes to get from backstage to the microphone. And even that wasn't that funny. I was cracking up. It was, it was funny, but it, it went on for about 40 seconds too long. That's the point. The longer oh, it goes on, yeah. the funnier it gets. But it, it, it didn't go long, long enough to reach that rollover threshold where it, it was so long, it no longer was annoying. It was funny again. And in terms of our picks, we... We're Didn't pretty, do great. No, I, we were pretty, we were well, pretty we, good. Well, where we picked correctly for the predictions, or where we didn't pick correctly for our predictions, we got our wish list winners. Yeah, so like we were right on with with who we either thought or wanted to win. It's not like either of us were too far off. In, we were right about the gutless Game of Thrones wins for yeah. Peter Dinklage and Best Drama. Yeah. So. Right about the Miss Maisel powerhouse. I didn't expect it to win as many as it did. That felt... A little too much with Amy Sherman Palladino coming back to back for writing and directing. But that show was beautifully directed. But I think that award could have gone to Hiro Morai or even Donald Glover. So, a totally meh Emmys. And that's fine with me. That's sort of I feel like I'd watched a lot of the winners. So that made me feel good. But this last week, our big thing that we watched in two days... Yeah, maybe a day and a half. Was the second season of American Vandal. Yes. That we didn't even know was coming out. So we went into it with really fresh eyes. I did not know what this season was going to be about. 
until I watched a trailer the day that we watched it. Yeah, I mean, I just saw the the teaser trailer and listened to a spoiler-free interview with the showrunners. But other than that, yeah, I went into it pretty fresh. And this will be a spoiler-heavy discussion of American Vandal. So we'll put it in the episode description where you can skip ahead to. But we are giving you the warning now to pause and fast forward because we are going to discuss Deep Dive on American Vandal Season 2. Pizza Turd Burglar. Just kidding, he's not. No, that's not even a correct spoiler. I know. So you still have time. Yeah, you still have plenty of time. Lucas, I want to know what you thought because I got the sense that you didn't dislike season two of American Vandal, but you didn't find it very funny. No, I I have some, actually, I have some issues. Can I go on a a bit of a rant here? Will you? Do you think your voice can handle it? Probably not, nor do I think my diminished mind my diminished brain capacity can make this cogent point here. But I do have some problems with this season. And let me start this by saying I think season one was essentially a perfect season of television. It was, I think, my favorite show of last year. I thought it was equally hilarious and poignant in terms of the points that I was trying to make about how young people communicate with each other, the complexities of social media and relationship dynamics. Um, But they walked this line, there's a balance that the first season struck, and the balance is between making jokes about dick drawings and ball hairs that are the most juvenile jokes and super funny, but also making really important points about the issues that modern technology poses in terms of you know, kids being able to have healthy relationships and communicate with each other. The problem that I have with that second season is they created an even narrower tightrope for themselves to walk. And I think that the balance they struck is far more difficult and I'm not sure that they nailed it. What I mean by that is the issues that the second season asks you to deal with are issues of mass dissemination of child pornography, potential school shooter issues. There is a there's a character, the evil character in this movie is a kid that sits behind his computer and thinks of plots ways to viciously get back at his classmates while being essentially radicalized on 4chan. If that's not a school shooter, I don't know what is. But this show doesn't really deal with that. It sort of takes one step into it and then doesn't. So it, it, it has a proxy for school shootings that's throwing shit on people. It, 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 it's very difficult for me to find a show that wants to sort of halfway deal with this issue of the way that disturbed kids deal with their classmates when they're seeking revenge while also wanting to have fun with shit jokes. It, it just didn't strike the same balance that the first season did. If you watched the first season, you remember that everyone assumed Dylan drew the dicks on the cars because he thought it would be a funny prank. Which it was. It's a hilarious prank, but it turns out the people who we never get confirmed, but who is assumed were the dick drawers, did it out of a protest because they were mad. This season was, it would have been funnier if the turd burglar had just been a prank that went too far exactly 
wasn't as funny when you found out that it was a very, very sinister plot to catfish, extort, blackmail, and truly cause some harm to right. people in this school. Serious, in, in the first season, the worst harm was that somebody had a couple thousand dollars worth of damage on the hood of their bumper. The second season was minors' genitals pictures got spread online. Not even that, but the idea that it was going to potentially destroy Demarcus's career. Exactly. He got the teacher's career ruined. He told he stole an entire library of photos and videos from an innocent woman's phone who came to get it fixed at one of those kiosks at the mall. It dealt with a lot of real stuff that is both scary and upsetting and makes me so glad I got out of high school in time to avoid the real-time social media. Yes. I mean cuz the first few episodes were funny about all the people shitting their pants in the hallways of this school and the um Kurt Vonnegut puppet being filled with crap and you know it seemed like it was going to be the sort of same season one where the theme was he was wrongful the kid Kevin was wrongfully um accused and coerced into confessing and there was some hilarious kind of footage from the confession scenes where they're like how'd you put the poop in there kevin <laughs> he just puts the pinata by his butt and they're like nope that's not that's not how you did it and you know that was funny but kind of kept that same tone as the entire first season. right but and then, then it, it did got, get really dark yeah and it's hard to reconcile kevin putting the kurt vonnegut pinata up to his ass with a guy literally sitting behind his computer plotting the demise of his classmates like seriously there were a lot of very funny parts. Yeah. There were funny lines. that It lacked the character, uh, the Dylan-type characters, and that was your favorite part of last season. It lacked season. the Dylan character, and it also lacked Dylan's friends. It, it lacked the, the side characters who were just super funny and super lighthearted. Like, you know, it had great side characters. Lou was a great side character, but Lou's plot line was heavy as shit, too. Oh, yeah. The... Friend of the basketball yeah. player. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just dealt with a lot of stuff. It was a private school, so there were these racial undertones that their star basketball mm -hmm. player, who's um, a black kid who comes from a worse neighborhood outside of really wealthy Seattle suburbs, and how he's not really, you know, he's really revered and really popular, but no one seems to care about him outside of his basketball skill and how people kind of leech on to him. And it's just, it was... It was good. It was really funny. But the Marcus performance was fantastic. It was great, but I left the series kind of being more sad. I feel like I'd actually... I mean, it is the best second season of a true crime documentary out there. It's not the best second season of a comedy out there. Let's not get crazy. No, I mean, it's obviously scripted, but in terms of how it played out and, you know, the narrative, I thought it, you know, had that been a true story, that'd be an excellent follow-up to... American Vandal, if it were true, second as opposed to the is... as opposed to the second season of Serial, which was terrible. Also, the third season of Serial is terrible. <laughs> I'm just going to get that out there because yeah, Carly can... doesn't want me to talk. No, about... we can. Move. That's oh, why I okay. made the segue. <laughs> I laid it out there for you. Uh, you've already listened to all of it. There's only two two episodes out, so we're recording this on a Sunday. They they released the first two episodes uh, this week. Um, quick quick background, I guess. The season is about Sarah and her producer who essentially just hang out in the uh, Cleveland slash Cuyahoga County, Ohio Justice Center 
and kind of dip into different trials and things like that throughout an entire year. And I suppose the purpose is to provide a comprehensive view of the modern justice system in a sort of typical American city. The problem that I have with it is that a the first two episode the first episode is just downright boring. The second episode is interesting. However, I don't know that it makes any point that's worth 45 minutes of arguably the most important podcast in all times time to make. And thirdly, the show I my theory is that at best case scenario the show wants to be a podcast version of David David Simon's Homicide, A Life on the Killing Street, where he spent a year with the Baltimore City Homicide Unit and just sort of embedded himself and was there every day. I think best case, this could be a court version of that. However, it's not that different, and it's already been done to the best it can be done, and David Simon did it. I have not listened yet. I no longer have the long commute that I used to, so I don't really have a lot of podcast time. That being said... I want I want it to be good. I know that Sarah Koenig's great. I know that the, the serial production team is great. So if, if this turns into something other than a podcast version of Homicide, I will be extraordinarily pleasantly surprised. Last discussion of the episode. We have to keep it short today. I watched all of Forever on Amazon. And I'd heard a few things in the days leading up to me watching it that said oh you've got to watch this there's this great twist it's we can't even say too much about it it's just Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen are a married couple who try to shake things up and that's literally all we can say without spoiling it and I watched it all it's really it's only about a four-hour watch each episode is 25 minutes each episode feels like four hours but it is pretty boring yeah and I'm gonna keep this relatively spoiler free okay i'm gonna try but it isn't it isn't an easy watch and it's not a very compelling watch yet i wanted to go from episode to episode i wanted to see what happened so i don't really know how to reconcile those two can i ask something that's going to be somewhat spoilery just you know advanced warning listeners do you think it's strange that a show with this premise exists at the same time the good place does yes and no because writers from the good place are part of this show it seems to me that the the fact that the fact that a pretty much if you if you are going to watch forever you're going to find out these twists pretty early on so it's not a huge spoiler but the dna of the show picture if master of none and the good place created a television show i think it's like if mad about you and the good place created a television show i say master now because alan yang okay well, is a co-creator on both all right so it's got that slow cinematic style that you see in master of none but with the surrealism of the good place but it was almost like but not even the surreal like the surrealist sort of like high level like uh you know thematic stuff but none of this funny surrealist stuff like you know yeah it's a it's a less fleshed out 
good place. There don't seem to be rules. It seems to kind of just be whatever they thought it should be that episode. I know what I'm saying doesn't make a lot of sense, but when you watch it, you'll understand. But I would recommend if you start watching and you get to episode three and you're bored, but you know the premise of the show, please go ahead and watch episode six, Andre and Sarah. It's a beautiful bottle episode of the show. You don't need to know a lot about the show to understand it, but you will want to know the premise. But watch that episode free and clear of any spoilers. It's a very beautiful episode. Why do we think this show exists? If, if it's essentially a less fleshed out version of a show that we already have that's very good and critically acclaimed, why do we need a, a, a different, lesser version? From what I read... People were bringing Fred and Maya all these different vehicles and they wanted them to work together and all this stuff and they really latched on to this specific project. And it was a star-driven thing. They had these two stars attached and they were going to make whatever show that they wanted and they essentially made a worse version of Good, Good Place. I guess so. So I would, I would give it like a D. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know. I Maybe a C. I'm going to give it a C just for the character, Mark. He's pretty great. Which one's Mark? I don't think you saw him because you watched the first episode. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> you watched the first episode in the last two with me, and he's not in the. He's not in either oh, of those okay. three. So he's he plays... Well, it, it, he plays he, a Jacksonville Jaguars no. fan. <laughs> it would be way too spoilery to say what he is. But Bortles! I will tell you after. I'm so excited for the good plays to come back. It's going to be so interesting this year with them being on Earth and not interacting. That'd be great. I'm sure we I'm sure it'll be exciting. I'm This is a show that has nailed it season after season in its first two seasons, but they took a really high concept and did not paint themselves into a corner, which is impressive. Yeah, and it seems like to just to put a kind of pin in it, Forever took the same high concept and just did the most boring plot you could possibly think of with it. Everyone needs some boring TV. Yeah, sure. Yeah, It's a good fall asleep at night TV show, I would imagine. It would be fantastic if you have insomnia. That's super boring. It is very boring. <laughs> I'm so sorry, you guys. I want to be more positive about it. But it was really boring. Also, I called the twist after the first episode. N- not, not really. Yeah, no, did. he didn't. He didn't. I did. You, no, he didn't. Bortles! Manifest starts tomorrow. Sweet. We've seen the first 10 minutes because we're VIPs. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And then we've got our shows tonight. So keeping it nice and short and sweet for you guys. We're going to try to get this out for you Monday morning so you've got something to listen to. By the way, I'm going to take this moment to... Yes, read some fan mail. Yes, we have a a fan mail. (laughs) We have a singular fan mail that I would like to talk about um someone named kylie emailed us what a dumb name no (laughs) kylie wants to know how we feel about when shows recast characters her example was they on shameless they just recast a major character but in the previously on they went back and inserted the recast actor oh that's annoying was it emmy rossum she's leaving after this season right she's no they wouldn't have recast (laughs) Fiona. 
Fiona! He's just talking about someone else. So do you care when shows recast actors like famously Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Oh, Aunt Viv? Mm-hmm. I, I am going to make a controversial statement here. I like second Aunt Viv better than first Aunt Viv. Oh, I, me too. Okay. I think she's nicer. I do too. I, I thought the first Aunt Viv was very grating. And the second Aunt Viv I like because she was essentially just like an older version of Hillary. She looked a lot like Hillary. She got along better with Hillary. So I like Aunt Viv too. Um, They're going to be recasting the character of Greg on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend this year. Okay. Any other famous recasts you can think of? Besides Uh, our recast draft? (laughs) There was a a really interesting They recast um, uh, Caitlin on the OC. They went from Shailene Woodley to Willa Ford. Moving on to her next viewer question. Is there any show, like a basically reality show... That you would revive if you could. Hers would have been Amish in the City. Oh, Amish in the City was pretty sweet. I did enjoy Amish in the City. Uh, yeah, uh, Joe Millionaire. Joe Millionaire, that's a terrible pick. I love Joe Millionaire. I would bring back Wipeout. <laughs> oh, uh, most extreme challenge. <laughs> if we're going to do Wipeout type shows. Why not bring back Road Rules or... Sure, Actual real world seasons. Yeah. Why not bring back uh, Eliminate? Or. uh, Singled Out? Cheaters. No, Cheaters. Bring back Cheaters. Okay. Or Singled Out. All right. Well, thank you for that viewer mail, Kylie. You can all reach us. Thanks, Kylie. I was just kidding. You have a really cool name. You all can reach us at um, basiccablepod at gmail.com. On Twitter at Basic Cable Pod and on Instagram at Basic Cable Pod, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so we're posting a lot of stuff on there. Just come and join us. I swear I do more on the Twitter than just live tweet 90 Day Fiance, but that's really fun to do. I mean, come for the 90 Day, stay for whatever the hell else Carly wants to do. The 90 Day is worth the price of admission. Absolutely. So thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back with a more full, complete episode next week because we're going to have a lot of new shows to talk about. Why are you looking at me like that for? Say goodbye. We love you. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Basic Cable is produced by Carly and Lucas, hosted by Carly and Lucas, music provided by bensoundmusic.com, royalty-free. Thank you so much for playing in and playing out our show. Tell them around!